and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Okay, Tim, let's start this show with five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Happy Monday, he said with all irony. This is Tim and Friends for Monday, June 21st, live and direct from the Sportsnet Studios in downtown Toronto. I'm Tim McAuliffe. Jesse Rubinoff manning the ones and twos, Twitter and the gram. Weigh in at Tim and Friends now or 24-7 on Twitter and Instagram. Or check out our library of episodes available anytime at Sportsnet now. Darren Millard from Vegas, David Amber from the NHL on Sportsnet Studios. Another crazy night in the Habs Golden Knight series. And nice to know the rest of the world is catching up on our little conversations about referees, about what we're willing to overlook in the name of playoff hockey. That might be topic number one or two as we unveil a new look. First things first, Dan Schulman also popping by, though, as the roller coaster of the J season continued over the weekend. Could Saturday be a turning point in the season? My answer, Shulman's answer coming up in a flash. Ian Eagle knows the Nets as good as anyone on planet Earth. He will join you and I in the second hour. Some folks trying to make Steve Nash the scapegoat to wear this Game 7 loss to the Bucks. Facts, fiction, or just plain crazy? All that's coming up. And speaking of crazy... Man, it seems like the weekend was peak 2021. The haymakers landing from who and where you least expect it. From Kevin Herter to Ryan Pollock to Braden McNabb in more ways than one. Just think of the Habs Golden Knights. The team that has dominated the last two games of this series has lost. Montreal had no business winning game three. Boom, tough acting to acting. And then I thought... They played a near-perfect game last night and lost. They gave up one good chance. And I don't even know how good it was. Back in the net, ho-hum, here we go, overtime, and they win it. So back to Vegas we go, tied it too, but that's 2021. So is the Atlanta Hawks-Milwaukee Bucks Eastern Conference Final. The Bucks and Hawks are in the Eastern Conference Final. Never mind Clippers and Suns Western Conference Final. Phoenix up 1-0 with Chris Paul at home doing TikToks with his kids. I'm not making that up. It's actually real. Into the thick of it. Hey. Into the thick of it. Yeah. Into the thick of it. That's COVID protocol. It's real, and I'm going to be honest, it's kind of fantastic. It's also the uh, second year since 1973 when the NBA began seeding for the playoffs by conference when neither number one seed has made the conference final. I knew we were in uncharted territory, but this is getting more ridiculous than Pete Weber's trash talk. And just like the bad boy of bowling, I'm here for it all, including... A new way to do first things first today. 
We're going to try something new. As Jesse Rubinoff takes the reins on First Things First, as always, we appreciate your feedback. And don't worry if I feel the need for a monologue, if a politician decides they're going to grandstand around sports, you will see it called out here. If Canada soccer needs a pep talk or the NHL drops the ball on a suspension, I will still dial up the monologue when it needs to be. But let's ignite the festivities with First Things First, Jesse Rubinoff and the one and only Biggie Smalls. First things first. first. Timmy? Yes, sir. Let's start it off with a tagline. Here's what everyone's talking about today. Here's and we what, start. I got it. With the Golden Knights and the Habs are all tied up at twos after back-to-back overtime games at the Bell Center. Josh Anderson was the hero for Montreal in Friday's Game 3 win. And after Marc-Andre Fleury's giveaway led to Anderson's game-tying goal, Peter DeBoer elected to go with Robin Leonard. In Game 4, there were plenty of people questioning the move, but Leonard stopped 27 of 28 shots as Vegas evened the series. Now, after the game, Leonard tweeted, Thanks for all the nice words today, guys. Appreciate the love with a little crying, laughing emoji. And he talked about getting motivation from the haters. Haters. Not many people know, you know, I come to the game four hours early every... I get up my own bus, come four hours early. I sat for two hours and watch you guys talk shit on Twitter on me, you know, to get me motivated. I don't do the flashiest saves and all those things, but, uh, you know, before the season, ever since I got out of rehab and even before that in Buffalo, I've been putting up some pretty good numbers and uh, people act like, yeah, people act like what they, that, that I'm not very good, especially in our own town. Yeah. Okay. So, little role play here, Timmy. Mm-hmm. You're Peter DeBoer. Okay. Who are you going with game five? Robin Leonard or Mark Andre? I didn't think this is how it would start, is you and I doing a little role play. But <laughs> Robin Leonard will start game five. But let me say something here. This was a ballsy move by Peter DeBoer because he went away from a future Hall of Fame goaltender who was playing at a high level and went to another keeper in a very key... They could have gone down Mm 3-1. I get that this is a little different, but it's not as if he went to some sort of unknown. Like, he's not turning to nobody. Leonard was 13-4-2 this season. He was nominated for the Vesna just two years ago. This isn't some chump. In fact, he just signed a five-year, $25 million deal in October, which, by the way is three more years than Flurry's signed for, I might add. So, yeah, it's ballsy. And especially after Flurry's agent just last year tweeted the sword going through Marc-Andre Flurry's back, that makes it even more tough for Peter DeBoer to go out and do that. But there's a reason why he did it last year. There's a reason why he did it this year. It's because they absolutely positively trust Robin Leonard to go in in key moments. Robin Leonard has got to start game five now. You made your bed and you got to sleep in that bed. Just an unbelievable performance by Robin Leonard, but he hadn't won a game since May the 7th, Timmy. Right. May the 7th. So Peter DeBoer was opening himself up there. If they lose that game, Without I know he played very well, but if they lose that game, Peter DeBoer is going to get crushed yeah. in Vegas. Yeah, I like, don't use the word ballsy very much. No. I did it for a reason. Yeah, it was I, absolutely, I believe it. Yeah. Do you know... How many teams have won a cup 
while starting two goalies, Enlighten three me. games or more? Enlighten me. All right, the last one was mm. the Pittsburgh Penguins, Matt Murray and Marc-Andre Fleury. Okay? Yeah. Five teams since 1991. So five in 30 years had two, had two goalies start three or more in the playoffs. And only once since 1972 had two goalies started more than four games. And that was Pittsburgh with Marc-Andre Fleury and Matt Murray in 2017. Is it going to happen to Marc-Andre Fleury yeah. again? What an embarrassment of riches for a team that was an expansion team a couple years ago. Now they have a three-time Stanley Cup winner yeah, sitting paid. on the bench. They made the deal. They made the deal. They no. paid for it. They're paying $12 million mm-hmm. to goalies. They gave a five-year $25 million deal to Robin Leonard. You don't do that. Like Most people mock them for doing that with a backup goalie. Yeah. I thought the game... Early on, Leonard made a couple of really key saves, especially that early one on Eric yep. Stahl. That when, when you think about the last time he played, like he was stepping in there basically like the sacrificial lamb. Like right. they were resting Flurry. Right. And he got absolutely torched against the Colorado Avalanche. If he goes in there and allows that goal to Eric Stahl and doesn't make that save, then the team in front of him is like, uh oh, like is this going to be a redux of what we saw against Colorado? But he makes that early save. Yeah. Then he makes the breakaway save on Caulfield in the third. Like, huge saves at big moments that gives your team trust to play the right way in front of you. But don't you think that the initial start was against Colorado was a little different circumstances after coming off a tough seven-game series against oh. Minnesota, oh. Colorado, sitting and waiting? Like, it was kind of like, we know we're going to be tired here. Let's put Leonard in goal yeah. and see if he can do something. Yeah, the point is just that that's the last time they saw they played. No, I, I understand. Just too, yeah, just I understand it, but I think it was two different circumstances, and I think you saw that. Although, yeah. I'm going to say this again. Yeah. Montreal dominated the Las Vegas Golden Knights <laughs> unlike I thought they could dominate the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Like, if you're Montreal or a fan of Montreal, you come out of that game. You came out of game three going, mm-hmm. oh, dear God, we stole one there. You come out of game four almost feeling better because I didn't think that they could dominate that Vegas team like that. We'll see in the next three games, if we need them, if that was an aberration and Vegas just played bad or if Montreal's got that magic. And I can't help but I did not think they could dominate them like that. They did. They dominated in game four. They just didn't get the result. 17 nothing. high danger chances going to overtime. Right. Vegas gets one. And they score. Right. And that's just the way that game went. Uh, Timmy, big talking point after this game. It's been the entire playoffs. Okay. The officiating. What's, what's the deal here? It's Sorry? all the officiating. Okay. All anybody's talking about. Sorry. Th- that's, that's been a talking point lately? Yeah. yeah it is. Oh, I, I didn't know. Didn't know I, yeah. I mean, listen, we did this <laughs> thing on this rinky-dink show a couple weeks ago asking if NHL referees have been letting too much go for the sake of playoff hockey. Have others done this somewhere, Jesse? Are people doing this somewhere? A little bit, on the, so- a little bit on the socials, oh, but not where? much, though. Yeah, Let me not see. Much. Yeah. There's no question about that. Right on the bridge of the nose, no call. Lee stood and watched. Nosek go after Weber. Weber go back at him. They both cross-checked each other, and... You know, there's the frustration you have of what the standard is of what you call and don't call. And Chris Lee still hasn't called a penalty yet. You want to lose control of the game, this is how you do it. That's just ridiculous. How do you set a standard now for the third period? What's a penalty, what's not? The way this one went tonight, I don't know. I think we have to have a conversation about 
Is that right? I've just never had a game before where I got more text during a game from players, coaches, executives saying, this can't be what we want. I'm kidding. I saw it all. <laughs> I saw the over 7,000 signatures at last year. When I left my house today, yeah. there were 7,000 signatures on a fire Chris Lee petition that was posted at change.org. I wonder what percentage of that is Habs fans, by the way. A lot. <laughs> I saw Harvey's, or should I say Harvey's, responding to our tweet saying that, quote, I have better calls on tech support. I saw it all, my friend. And I'll say this, where the hell have you been? There have been two different games called, one in the regular season, one in the postseason. There's folks in Edmonton that have been screaming about this since game one of the postseason. We all know what happens. It's just how far you want to let it go. And we had this, we had this exact conversation two weeks ago with Colorado and Vegas. Yep. I wanted to do it with Colorado and Vegas so it wouldn't seem like there's a bias. But I've been saying this since the Canucks played the Bruins in the Stanley Cup final in 2011. The NHL allows teams that are very physical to push the envelope too far in order to call their playoff brand of hockey mm -hmm. tough hockey. And I'm all for tough hockey, but when there's a penalty, call the damn penalty. That's all anyone's asking in this moment, and that's been my beef with puck over glass, is that you'll see Thomas Nosek run a guy from behind. Literally. Right? Yeah. And no call, but even in a non-threatening spot, someone lifts a puck over glass. Oh, two minutes. Nick Suzuki gets a little hook in on the hands. Like five dangerous plays. Corey Perry gets swatted in the face. He's leaking all over the place. He becomes a meme. No penalty. But, oh, Suzuki gets a little hook in on the hands. Arm goes up. Like, I, I, here's what I'll say. I'm fine if you're just going to let it go. If you're just going to let it go, I am good. But don't get all high and mighty when someone gets really hurt on one of the plays that you're letting go or a game is decided on a no call because you're – like the no calls are just as important as the calls when a referee goes, I don't want to decide this game. Well, guess what? If you put the whistle in your pocket, you're, you're deciding. also deciding the game. My favorite part was Chris Lee with the run the, run run the, the clock. clock. Get me out of this. <laughs> get just I'm leaving. Of the room. I'm leaving. <laughs> Just get, he's out. All right, Timmy's gone. I guess that's, that's literally it. what he did. He said, <laughs> get me out of it. Like it's house league. Like, a, and like I change hate... shifts, change, three yeah. minute buzzer. Yeah, you're off that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> run the clock, everybody. It's 11 nothing. Yeah. Johnny C line's coming out. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't look like they're going to solve anything in the postseason now. They're going to have to figure it out in the offseason because you can't change it now. All right, let's do this. Yeah. Um, let's pull the electorate. Uh, rate the NHL's officiating in the playoffs. Let's just see if. And hopefully more fans than just mm -hmm. the Habs fans weigh in on this because here's what I don't – I don't like when – whenever someone's fan base has an uproar about officiating, the NHL, NHL can just say, well, it's just that team. 
But I think that there's a bunch of people in Canada Agreed. saying, nah, this that was ridiculous. Agreed. Like, Completely. I don't know any. So let's throw it out there, yep. and we'll see how many responses. And make it easy. Good, bad, just okay. Perfect. Whatever the hell it is, make it simple. Rate the NHL's officiating, because I don't think anyone thinks it's I have a feeling where this is going. Uh, let's go to the NBA. We know where it, was it is, a that's the yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, crazy weekend. Two game sevens in the NBA on the weekend. Both were won by the road team. The Bucks and Nets... It was an instant classic on Saturday, the first overtime Game 7 in the NBA since 2006, and KD scored a Game 7 record 48 points, almost won out of the buzzer, but his foot, shoe size 18, was on the line. In overtime, KD went 0 for 6 as the Bucs escaped with the victory. Then on Sunday, the Hawks got 27 points from Kevin Herter and Trey Young. Iced it late as Atlanta sent Philly packing with another disappointing playoff exit. What surprised you most, Timmy, from the Game 7? Uh, that Steve Nash is taking it for the Nets' loss. Like, I, I kind of sort of understand what people are saying, but this was a completely depleted roster, and maybe he could have gotten Kevin Durant some rest, but what those people on those hot take television shows are doing right now is saying Kevin Durant was tired in overtime, but... Where was he at the end of regulation? Like, what are the odds a game goes to overtime? They're high. And he was perfectly fine hitting the long two at the end of the regulation. The longest two possible. Literally the longest two possible. And if it had have gone the other way, if that size 18 foot was on the other side of the line, this is how fine the line is. If his foot is behind the line on the three-point shot, or two-point shot, as it were, to tie it up late. Steve Nash doesn't hear any of what he's hearing today, and Mike Budenholzer is fired. Literally. Yeah. Mike Budenholzer, facts today, is fired, and now he's the favorite to win the NBA title tiny, in Las Vegas. Yeah, just absolutely tiny margins when you're talking about the NBA. Well, not, I mean, you mentioned it. He has a size 18 yeah, foot. that's which, not so tiny. <laughs> by the way, ranks second in the NBA right now to yeah. the Lopez twins. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, they have size 20 feet. Didn't you feel... <laughs> Like, have you seen the size of his feet? I, I've seen I've seen the feet before. Like, I don't know if they've been doctored in any way, shape, or form. Uh, yeah. But I don't know what size 18 That's... feet look like. There are pictures circulating on the internet that if his feet were size 14, maybe they win that game. Like, Just walking around with, like paddles on your feet. I, like, you should literally be an Olympic swimmer. I think that you could, <laughs> I don't think you need water skis if you got those. Like, those are massive feet. You could definitely go barefooting. Wouldn't be a problem at all. Oh, yeah. Those was, fancy yeah. guys go barefooting. Yeah, yeah I see. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was getting Kawhi vibes there at the end because it was it, – Kawhi was tied when he hit that shot, right, yeah. against the Sixers. But this KD one, they were down. And if he would have hit the three to win it, like it would have been super special. Yeah. Um, the Sixers are in big trouble, Timmy. They're in, is this the end of the – is this it? Are yeah. they done? The, the process is over. Like what, are the, what do they do now? It's just, it's Ben Simmons. And listen, uh, again, I'm going to separate my shoulder, pat mm. myself on the back yep. on this show. But a week ago, I was saying that the four shots was no longer cute. Mm. Like, after game five, he, he took four that. shots. And I said, this is no longer cute. You, you have to take more shots than that. And the stats are damning. Uh, listen to him. He took six shots in game six and four again yesterday. He scored single digits in three games for the first time in his career. He's getting paid $30 and one-half million per year. It'll go up next season. 
He attempted three shots in the fourth quarter of all seven games combined and zero in the last four. He shot 34% from the line. That's the worst in playoff history with a minimum of 70 attempts. He missed more free throws in these playoffs than Steve Nash missed in his entire playoff career. And if that's not enough, he's passing up dunks because of help defense from Trey Young, who's what, six foot, six foot one? And if that's not enough, if all that's not enough to prove the process is over, here's his coach, Doc Rivers, and Joel Embiid, the process is over. Doc, you think Ben Simmons can, can still be a point guard for, for a championship team like the one you guys want to become? Yeah, David, I don't know that question or the answer to that right now. Um, you know, so I don't know the answer to that. I don't know how to say it, um, but I thought the turning point was just, you know, we had a, an open shot and, you know, we missed, uh, we made one free throw and uh, we missed the other and then they came down and scored uh, and uh, we didn't get a good pos- uh, possession on the other end and Trey came back and he made a three and then from there, uh, down four. And MB can say that. He averaged, what, like 30 and 13 and he was on, hurt. on a torn meniscus. Yeah. Uh, and Simmons just didn't pull it up. Process is over. He got $177 million. And I don't know if anyone else... I just burped a little bit there. <laughs> I, I don't know if anyone else is going to pay that money. Did you hear it by any chance? Was that on national TV? Little, yeah, I heard it. All right, let's all take right. a break. <laughs> it's a good, good time for a break. Still to come. <laughs> I have some bubbly, bubbly, bubbly Eno. <laughs> Broadcasting legend Ian Eagle, who would never do that, will join us to discuss a wild weekend in the NBA playoffs. Dan Schulman on the roller coaster that is the J season, plus David Amber ahead of game five between the Isles and the Lightning. And up next, Vegas have knotted up the series at two, heading home. We'll go to Vegas and check in with Mr. Millard next on Tim and Friends. <laughs> Was he trying to balance that on his forehead? Yes, that's exactly what he's trying to do. <laughs> Plays it in front of the net. Nick Wall scores. The series is tied at two games apiece. Nobody's even paying attention to him. Like nobody in the dugout has any interest in the fact that he's doing all of this uh, just to amuse himself. Right in front. McDonough with a chance. Spins. Life through the water bottle. (laughs) That's funny stuff. Here comes Bridges. Bridges to Booker. Back to Bridges. Devin Booker with his first career triple-double. A short day for Joey Votto. Votto will not leave the field. I'll tell you, baseball's a stressful business sometimes. as Anderson got a piece of that loss, scores! Josh Anderson as Flurry misplays it, and the game is tied! Got Kinyemi there to turn it back, Anderson knocks it down, Paul Byron, Anderson scores! Game winner, Josh Anderson! Move Perry dumped in front. Oh, what a 
was stopped by Leonard. Leonard with a brilliant save off Eric Stahl. Canadians don't clear though. Carlson for McNabb scores. Braden McNabb hopped up and the game is tied. Back-to-back -back games here at the Bell Center are going to overtime. There's Pacioretty, four shots on goal. Trying to swoop in front, plays it in front of the net. Nick Waugh scores. Waugh has scored in overtime and this series is tied at two games apiece. Not many people know, you know, I come to the game four hours early every, I get up my own bus, come four hours early. I sat for two hours and watch you guys talk on Twitter on me, you know, get me motivated. Wah the hero in Montreal. This time, it's a different Wah, Nick Wah. Uh, my first guest is an old friend who now gets uh, paid to watch the Vegas Golden Knights for a living. Also the host of the Chirp Podcast, wherever you get your fine podcasts or just NHL.com. It's Darren Millard. What up, Run DMD? How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. It's nice that uh, that I have something in common with a professional athlete like Robin Leonard, where we both just spend hours upon <laughs> hours going through Twitter, uh, listening to all the haters, and and getting uh, getting a little bit motivated. I, I, I mute them, but but Robin gets me motivated to go out and perform in the Stanley Cup playoffs. You don't read through them, do you? Uh, no. I get caught. Actually, yeah, I I posted yesterday uh, something after the game and just got blasted yeah. by uh, by Montreal fans about the officiating, and I thought it's not my fault. The officiating uh, <laughs> has been uh, uh, whether you like it or not. Uh, it's it's got nothing to do with me. So I muted. I did mute a couple of people yesterday. So let let's talk about the officiating because we posted a poll uh, at Tim and Friends mm -hmm. on Twitter. Rate the NHL's officiating in the playoffs. Now this might be some recency bias. Uh, or it might not be because we had a conversation two weeks ago during the Golden Knights uh, Colorado Avalanche yeah. series. And um, right now our poll has 78% bad, 17% just okay, and 4.5% good. Is this a problem for the NHL or is this just playoff hockey? Well, I think it, when you talk about officiating, the place that you start is, is it uh, – is it even? And I don't think one side has been necessarily uh, been off the hook uh, compared to another side uh, in these playoffs. Uh, this the standard uh, going back to our previous conversation uh, in the earlier rounds was definitely looser than the regular season, but it was consistent. And the Minnesota series, and then into the Colorado series, uh, it tightened up a little bit, but. Uh, it was consistent from game to game. Now, this series that we're watching between Vegas and Montreal has gone back uh, towards what we saw or I saw uh, in the in the first round set. And that's uh, a lot more uh, a liberal. And uh, but I think it's been conservative, like guys are allowed to punch each other and you trade punches and then you go and there's there's no penalty. Now, there's there's been a couple where I thought, geez, was that was that really a penalty? Uh, but uh, it, it kind of went against the grain. But by and large, uh, I, I think it's been consistent. Now, then we get to the second stage, Timmy, and that is, do you like that it's right. uh, consistent even though it's looser? and Or do you like it because it's looser even though it's consistent? And that's up to, uh, that's up to the individual. But as long as it's consistent, I'm okay with it. But you know that, and this is, this is the part of this that um, 
whether or not you lo- I love physical hockey. Like I wore 24 when I was older as a kid because I liked Bob Probert. Like that was my number. He could fight and he could score. Like that I I enjoy that type of hockey. However, if teams that are successful in the regular season are not successful in the postseason, shouldn't we just make the regular season like the postseason so it's not two different games, regular season, postseason? Yeah. Uh, the problem, or is that the I third option? That. Did I just add a third yeah, well, option to this? Uh, yeah, yeah that's, that's the third option. And then uh, the, the regular season becomes a goat rodeo and and uh, players are getting away with everything all over the place um i am I'm, I'm okay with it being a little bit looser now that doesn't say tim that there's not missed calls like there's the missed high stick on, on Corey perry and i feel i feel bad about that then uh i think if the hockey gods were were being honest they they probably made good on that one uh with the uh with the montreal canadians winning winning that game but uh but all in all I do. I think that it's been uh, consistent, and and I've liked I've liked the punching and the scrambling and the kerfuffles and and the physicalness uh, of it, uh, and I, I've I've certainly uh, bought into bought into that kind of hockey. Like Will Carrier got crunched yesterday uh, in, in the corner, which could have been a really dangerous hit, and play continued and. There was plays where Vegas got away with a couple, and play continued. And as long as it's on both sides, let's go. Let's let's play. And we've got two big, tough hockey teams. Like I don't think it benefits Montreal or Vegas one way or the other. Yeah, I was just going to say I think it benefits uh, the in, team in that's bigger series. and tougher. And I think that Vegas yeah. is bigger and tougher in this series. And I will say this: you you know this, uh, Darren Sebastian Morin is our camera person today. Yeah, uh, you know him pretty well. You've worked with him in the past. He might be rolling his eyes as you're spot, as you're speaking right now. <laughs> well, okay. uh, Montreal's blue Montreal's blue line though can bring it. Yeah, and and that's where I go that they're 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 okay and they're they're able to play play physical uh, on that side of it. So, yeah, I mean, you know where I'm, which direction I'm coming from. Uh, there's no secret on that. But uh, but I don't think it's been a different uh, difference in this series. But but he is, and I don't think officiating is why it's two two instead of three one for one particular team over the other. And Sebastian can roll his eyes all he wants until he's <laughs> upside down. <laughs> all right, I can't uh, I can't talk to Run DMD with Ken Dryden's mask over his left shoulder, Bernie Perrant's mask over his left shoulder. Uh, is that John Garrett at the top over? John here? Garrett, and yeah. that's Wayne, that's Wayne Stevenson, by the way. Wayne. Stevenson. Oh right, Wayne Stevenson, not Bernie yeah. Perrant. My bad. Um, so. I can't ask you without asking you about the goalies. Were you surprised that Peter DeBoer went to Robin Leonard? No, no, flat no. out. No. Uh, I I was exp- I was this will this will make you laugh. I was more surprised they took Patrick Brown out of the lineup earlier in the uh, in the playoffs than I was that they changed goaltenders last night. And Patrick Brown's a uh, depth forward uh, who plays on their their fourth line, uh, but had done a really good job. Uh, Peter DeBoer had talked about uh, how they're going to use both goaltenders to their advantage uh, at times during the playoffs. And this was the second time. And uh, I, I thought it was a good uh, opportunity to use Robin Leonard against a team that wasn't uh, uh, highly offensive, like like the Colorado Avalanche. And it was a good chance to get everybody's attention. And sometimes, Timmy, I, I just like it when a coach puts it on the athlete. And there may have been some pressure on Robin Leonard, and there may have been some pressure on, on Pete DeBoer. 
uh, when they made that decision to put uh, to change goaltenders. Yep. But it was up to Robin Leonard to make good on it. And he wanted to play, uh, and he got an opportunity to play, and he played really well. So uh, I, th- I think that was the, the most impressive part about it. Uh, uh, it was a gamble either way. You were gambling because yeah. uh, Marc-Andre Fleury is coming off a disappointing play and and uh, allowing uh, a, a couple of pucks to get by him and back-to-back losses. And it's a gamble putting a goaltender that hadn't played in a while, but they, they put a lot of money into it, so why not? Game five's Leonard, right? Game five would be Leonard if uh, if I'm going to guess. Game five would be Leonard, but I'm not asking Pete because we don't ask Pete that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you could tell. Uh, I'm afraid yeah. to ask you this. What's the key to game five? Because the last two games, like I said this off the top of the show, the team that dominated lost the last two games. Made no the sense. Series. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they, we got we got the split that uh, that was somewhat expected or Vegas wanted, but didn't didn't go the split the way we expected. Like if, if Vegas would have won game two or game three and and flipped, then everybody would be like, "Well, oh, that's that's uh, sounds about normal." That's uh, yeah. I I still I still think that uh, one Chandler Stevenson, whether he can get back uh, yeah. in the lineup, uh, and uh, I, I, his stock has grown more by being out of the lineup than it was in the lineup. Uh, I think more people appreciate him and his speed and what he brings with Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty. And from a Vegas standpoint, uh, it's the power play. Can can Vegas get the power play going at some point in this series to make a difference? And they're 2-2 without it. Can they find a way to create some magic uh, with a man advantage in, the, in what is essentially now best of three? Uh, for the second time in like a month, we have a fire alarm going off uh, at the studio. Uh, I'm not what? sure what that means. Uh, oh, or... no, I, I know what it is. Mm-hmm. It was me talking about how they're even uh, physicality-wise. Yes. And Sebastian's <laughs> head blew, blew off. Yeah. And yeah. It just steam came out of his ears. I know exactly what, what's going on there. Uh, people may claim that I'm looking at it through rose-colored glasses. Uh, Sebastian is looking at it through hab-colored glasses. Uh, that I see. is a guarantee. I see. I... That mask right there. Yeah, there's probably going to be a something. They are who we thought they were. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, D, I, what do you think of what do you think of Leonard doing that uh, that little statement though about going to the the rink early and looking through Twitter? Uh, you know what? I there are people, they're athletes all the time. I, it never ceases to amaze me how you could make twenty five million dollars over five years and feel like everyone thinks that you're crap. But athletes mm-hmm. use it all the time. Like I've seen it. Numerous times, guys at the top. LeBron James feels like he's. This is for the haters. Like the like yeah. you're you're get paid a hundred million dollars a year and every and you're still worried about what people say about you. It's used as motivation at every level, and I've just stopped like caring about where you land on that spectrum because it just happens. Yeah, there there was a lot of uh, it, it percolated Twitter. That's for sure. Uh, that decision to change goaltenders. Yeah. What's what's LeBron ever won? Like, get back to me when he's done something, <laughs> right. and then uh, right. and then he can really of course. talk yeah, about uh, being hard done by. Uh, yeah. Always appreciate you dropping by, buddy. Uh, no matter whether or not the fire alarm's going off on set. Let's uh, let's keep this going. Hopefully, we can talk into the next uh, next round. All right. Uh, Seb says no way. Nope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, be well, buddy. Enjoy the game. Be good, guys. See you. There See is, everybody uh, in the control room. Yeah, there's Darren Millard, uh, who is an old friend to many around here. Time for a break. When we come back, the Jays' ups and downs continue. But a ninth inning rally on Saturday, followed by a series win on Sunday, has them back at 500 with a much needed off day today. 
George Springer. Soon? They did get some pitching up. All these questions and more with Dan Schulman after this next commercial interlude that pays our people. Millard better not look at the tweets now. Uh, welcome back to Tim and Friends. Jay's weekend in Baltimore. Started with Charlie Montoya wearing a shirt that said, this is fine. Everything is fine. It's fine. Jay's fans shouldn't feel like that after a 7-1 loss on Friday night to the Orioles that extended their losing streak to six games and put them two games under 500. On Saturday, Alec Manoa struggled, then was surprisingly tossed when the benches cleared. And it looked like the Jays were on their way to losing a seventh straight more panic among the fan base, but they rallied. With two outs in the ninth, scored six runs, got a much-needed win, and followed it up with another on Sunday, including a save for Tyler Chatwood. That's right. Jays' first team save in June. They're back to 500, awaiting reinforcements with an off day today, heading into a mini two-game series in Miami starting tomorrow. My next guest has been a great friend of the show, and I sincerely appreciate it. That's all. I really appreciate it. You know the voice. It's Dan Shulman. Danny, thank you, and welcome back. Thank you for having me. It's, not, it, you're, it's nice to know on a weekly basis that you and I can call each other friends for about 12 minutes out of every week. I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> for about 12 minutes. Uh, I always feel like I'm prepared for the roller coaster ride that is 162. This one for the Jays might be a little loopy. Like it might, it's the bat or the dragon flyer. Like, I don't know what roller, co are, you, are you a roller coaster guy before we get going here? Oh, no. What? No, no, Come no, no, on, no. Dan. No, no, what? no, no, no. What? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm tough in, you know, uh, uh, more obscure ways. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do roller coasters. Sixero didn't do roller coasters. Is it like there's a fear there that this uh, thing that was set oh, yeah. up by a, a oh. Carney in the last 12 minutes might fall apart? Yeah, well, it, it's fear, fear of getting sick, fear of uh, uh, fear of a million different things. Why would I want to go on a roller coaster? I, absolutely, absolutely. Exhilarating. Rubinoff. Not in a million years. I love it. Yeah. Rubinoff. All right. So, yeah. Sebi? Break the tie. Oh, yeah. Three one, Shulman. Actually, six arrows on your side. I remember that. <laughs> nice. uh, all right. So, so this roller coaster, where, wherever you want to get on or off this roller coaster, is, does it feel like more of a roller coaster this year, or is this just one sixty two and fans need to buckle up and be ready for it? Uh, a little of both. I mean, fans always need to. Not only do they need to buckle up a little bit, they they need to. I, I think uh, you know, understand it is a long season, and and, be, and and a roller coaster is part of the ride. But this does feel a little bit more roller coasterish. I think for a couple of reasons. Huge expectations coming in, so every game matters. Every out matters. Every pitch matters. Uh, but you know, all the injuries they've had, winning streaks and losing streaks, they've looked great. They've looked. Not fine, not close to fine. You know, they lose when they should win. They win when they should lose. They're young, they're old. Uh, so there, there is a lot going on. It's, it's, it's a great miniseries. It, it, it really is. And we got, I don't know what, they're, what they have left, 93 games, 92 games left. Um, like, not even halfway yet. So they're, they're hanging in. They got to play better. They got to get healthier. They got to get some reinforcements if they're going to play in October. But they haven't buried themselves yet. Okay, so before we get into that, because I agree with you on almost 95% of it, 
But I feel like the fan base, and it's always this for fans of any team, anywhere, you want to be good now because you want to enjoy a good team. But the trajectory on this team is in the right spot. Like, this is going to be a good team for a little while based mm-hmm. on the young talent they have, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the window is open, but it's not fully open yet in my mind. Like, I know everybody wants this to be a contending year, but this is not a fully mature uh, team that is a finished product. They're still learning about some of these players. And, and again, you'd love to see them make the playoffs, but I think people need to remember there were eight teams in the playoffs last year. There will only be five teams in the playoffs this year. That's a real thing. That's a big difference. Um, and and when they have looked good, they have looked really good at times. Like the bullpen was great in April. And then the rotation's been really stable the last six weeks. And the offense has been pretty good throughout. And, you know, if you put all those best ingredients together, you say, man, this is a heck of a baseball team. But um, they they do need some help. Obviously, the bullpen needs to get better. George Springer's going to be back soon. and that's uh, And that's a good thing. They are going to get better. They are, in my opinion, it's inevitable that they're going to be a contending team for from next season through 2025, which is when potentially Vladimir Guerrero Bobachet are eligible for free agency. There, I know people want them to do, be better than they are now, and I think they're better than their record. I know you are what your record says you are, but I think they're better than their record. It's just all the bullpen problems have really cost them. They got to find a way to shore that up. Okay, so can John Axford or Jacob Barnes help soon? They can help. Yeah. I I mean, I I don't want to pass judgment on either one. I mean, we all love John Axford. We'd all love to see him do great. And we heard he was throwing 97 at the qualifier. And then I saw him tweet out, maybe it was 98 or actually it was 98. And um, sure, you want to see what he's got. Absolutely. What's the downside? I assume he'll go to uh, Trenton or Buffalo Trenton and 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 see how it goes. And and Jacob Barnes, I wouldn't be. I'm guessing he'll be on the team on the major league roster tomorrow. But even if those two guys do really well, they need more. Is the more Ryan Barucki and Julian Merriweather? I don't know. And maybe the front office is waiting two, three, four weeks to see if those guys get healthy. But it's such a risk. You know, guys who have been hurt before are more likely to get hurt again. And, you know, look at that list on the left. There's some pretty good pitchers over there. The David Phelps loss, um, a, a very big one as well. Even if all of these maybes turn into yeses, I still think they've got to go out and get one or two guys. And and I know it's harder to make trades in the middle of June than at the end of July. you got to give up more. But you don't want to see a season slip away either. Yeah, that's that's the balance is what you've got to give up to get those pieces. Yeah. But I, I firmly believe, and you can disagree with it as you want, uh, because you're a friend for 12 minutes uh, every week. <laughs> <laughs> but if this bullpen is good, this is a good team that is contending for the playoffs. Absolutely. Yeah. If this is a reasonably good bullpen, then this team is fighting for a playoff spot. And, and you know, one thing to remember is the Yankees aren't uh, a, the greatest, the best version of themselves this year. Nope. The Red Sox have a really good record, but I don't know that they're a great team. I think they may come back to earth a little bit. And I, and I think the Blue Jays would definitely be in the mix for, for a playoff spot. But, if, if you know, if you call up and ask somebody for um, a plus reliever and they say, sure, give us Austin Martin. I, I mean, are people yeah. like, is that the trade you want to happen? And I don't know that that's what's being offered. But my point is, Nobody on Twitter knows what other teams are asking for uh, when the Blue Jays go looking for relievers. So, you know, listen, maybe Chatwood writes the ship. Maybe Barucki and Merriweather come back. Maybe Barnes and Axford help out. These are a lot of maybes. There's no there's no team in the universe where all of your maybes turn into yeses. If half of your maybes turn into yeses, 
then that's a pretty good deal. So hopefully the bullpen will get better. The rotation stays pretty strong. You know, we haven't mentioned Pearson and Hatch. Mm -hmm. I got to believe at some point they're in the majors helping somehow. And you know what? Go score a ton of runs. Uh, a 10-8 win counts the same as a 4-2 win. It's a little more stressful, but they may have to score their way to October this year. Okay, speaking of that, I guess I better do what's the latest on George Meyer. I have no idea. <laughs> that's that's a roller coaster too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know what, what we heard Ross Atkins say on Sunday was the good news is that they are quote getting pretty close to having to make a decision. Do they extend the rehab assignment or does he come back and join the club? So if Ross said that on Sunday, then I got to believe he either meets them in Miami tomorrow or if he doesn't do that, then he meets them in Buffalo Thursday when they start a series with the Orioles, one of the two. So barring a setback, I think he's back in the next three days, hopefully playing center field most of the time. But even if he's DHing a quarter of the time, that's fine. Like, you know, you, you've got other outfielders. Uh, it's it, You want what he brings at the plate. You want another power bat, another guy who can draw walks, another guy who can put pressure on the pitching staffs. Uh, and then you get to a situation where maybe like Gurriel's hitting seventh, Biggio's hitting eighth, and you got a heck of a lineup. And again, the 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 more the merrier because you might need it depending on how things are going in the bullpen. Uh, I'm glad you don't have to answer this, but I'm glad that I wasn't the only one that was kind of mystified by how vague the answer was on George Springer, and that the decision will have to be made. I just feel like. We're in another spot where we're not really sure what it's going to be for George Springer, which is why I said on this show, and my producers have overruled me repeatedly, we shouldn't give the George Springer update because we're never really know. That's fair, and we don't really know, but but the fans want to know, obviously. Yeah. So when Ross Atkins talked about it Sunday, I actually thought Ross was quite forthcoming about it when he said they're getting to the point where they uh, are wondering if they have to make a decision about bringing him back. But the, the Blue Jay way has always been Let's see how he feels tomorrow. You know, he played today. Let's see how he feels tomorrow. Tomorrow is today, but today's an off day. So we're not going to get any news today. I imagine if there is news, we would get it mid-afternoon or when Charlie Montoyo does the Zoom. And, and I'm with you. There, There's definitely, you know, Springer rehab fatigue. Totally understandable. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully, again, whether it's tomorrow or Thursday, we can start talking about other things. Uh, I heard uh, I heard an email come in on your computer, so hopefully that email might have an update, and we will get there. Let me just before we go, like, do you know when you go on those rides, like an adrenaline kicks in, and then when it's done and everything's okay, there's like you have this rush of energy that comes into your blood, and you feel like real, like it's almost like a drug that surges through you, this adrenaline that you've tackled one of your fears. Yeah. Hard no, hard no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I, you know what I do for that? It's called parenting. I get that. That's <laughs> pretty good too. <laughs> Understood. And I'll tell you what. Since I became a parent, I'm, I'm like, it's. I love rides. I love going to amusement parks. There's a little bit of me that starts wondering when you're bringing your kids onto these things <laughs> if maybe I'm making the wrong mistake as a parent. Well, uh, the problem is, you know, when you're like a 35-year-old dad and you've got a 9-year-old kid and the 9-year-old kid wants to go on the ride and the 35-year-old dad is chicken, <laughs> yeah. and then you got to disappoint your kid in so many different ways. But, you know, we, we've worked through such, all that. Such is parenting. Yeah. Uh, Danny, appreciate it. All right, Tim. See you next week. Yeah, take care. There is uh, Dan Schulman. Play-by-play voice uh, of many things. And we we're going to get into Canada basketball, but uh, I guess we ran out of time. There's a lot to break down in that Canada basketball situation, too. All right, time for a break. Highlights from today's action in Euro 2020 on the other side. Plus, 
Both Stanley Cup finals are tied at two in the NHL. We will discuss both series, which have been eventful. David Amber joins us next right here on Tim and Friends on the Sportsnet Family of Channels. Sheepdogs back here, hour number two on this Monday. Still to come, Iron Eagle on an amazing weekend in the NBA playoffs and a very unexpected Final Four. David Amber on the Final Four of the Stanley Cup playoffs, both series finally poised at 2-2 after an incredible play by Ryan Pollock to seal the win for the Islanders Saturday night. By the way, the Ryan McDonough move was just as nice, and it was unbelievably saved by... It was all unbelievable. All square heading into Game 5. Tampa tonight, Hockey Central, 7.30 Eastern, followed by the game on Sportsnet, Sportsnet 1 and CBC. Steven Stamkos, ice time was down in the third period. He was asked today how he's feeling physically. Good enough to play, so <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's the it's the most fun part of the year. So, are you at all limited right now in, in what you're able to do out there because of injuries? I'm not going to get into that sort of stuff. I mean, I'm I'm out there just with it, like everyone else, um, you know, trying our hardest to to win every night. So, um, you know, at this time of the year, you could go through so many different. Uh, things that guys are battling through. That's why it's the toughest trophy in sports to to win. The Canadians and Golden Knights heading back to Vegas. By the way, I don't really believe Stamkos, but whatever. All tied at two. You play hurt. That's what it is. Are you injured? Are you hurt? Whatever. Uh, each team won a game in overtime in Montreal. A lot of talk during and after last night's game. Officiating. Obviously, we got a poll out there. Everyone thinks that they suck. Habs flew out to Vegas. Standing coach Luke Richardson and Brendan Gallagher talking about dealing with emotions and trying not to let the calls derail the squad. You know, last night, I think our, our bench was really cool. I didn't see any eruptions or any reactions to anything other than what we can control. And that's, that's our message to them. And they've done a great job. We want them to put all their energy and effort into their play, not any other distractions that we can't control. Russ, uh, <sighs> You know, we, we talk so much about just controlling the controllables. And for us, all we can worry about is ourselves. We're going to have uh, situations where things don't go our way. And uh, as athletes, you just have to have the mentality that, okay, um, you know, keep working, you'll get the next one. You'll get the next call. You keep pushing, you'll get the next call. And that's that's where our mindset is. I mean, we can't control uh, what their thought process or decision-making is. I mean, you know, everyone's everyone's been watching. I don't think... Uh, you know, I really need to comment too much on, on that side of it. But for us, it's just important as a group to to keep our focus and, um, you know, making sure that that we are controlling the things that we can control and not wasting energy on things that we can't. David Amber coming up in mere moments to talk a little bit more hockey. Meantime, only a couple of days left in the group stage at Euro 2020 in 2021. And entering the conclusion of Group B action and C action today, there was plenty left to be decided, including Denmark, who had gone through an unbelievable range of emotions. They needed a big win against Russia, 
and a Belgium win over Finland to advance to the knockout stage. We'll start with Denmark, 38th minute, and Mikkel Damsgaard, with a great strike from distance, gives a little life to Denmark, but they would need to get through on goal differential along with the win. How about that goal differential? Some help from the Russians. This pass goes right to Yusef Poulsen, who chips the keeper. It's 2-0 for the Danes, so they need Belgium to come through for them. 74th minute. It's a corner kick as we switch games. Thomas Vermeulen, the header, goes off the post, off the keeper, into the net. Own goal, 1-0 Belgium. Back to Denmark, now up 2-1. Russians get one back, but watch this. The key was, would they get the Belgium win? An unbelievable set of circumstances. Has Denmark at home up big? And they got the help. Belgium, Kevin De Bruyne slides to Lukaku, his third of the tournament. Belgium win 2-0 and finish a top Group B, while Denmark win their match 4-1 and advance despite all they've been through with Christian Eriksen being released from the hospital. They are the second-place team in Group B on goal differential as Denmark, Finland, and Russia all finish with three points. An unbelievable turn of events. Denmark will take on... The second part, uh, they'll take on second in the next group. We'll figure that out. All right, let's check out Ukraine and Austria. Either side can claim a spot in the round of 16 with a win. We'll start in the 21st minute. Austrian corner, David Alaba swings it in. Christoph Baumgartner lands a bomb. Austria leads 1-0. 61st minute, Ukraine free kick. Conrad Leimer with a bad clearance. Puts it on his own net. But Daniel Bachmann keeps it out with a save off his own guy. Austria win 1-0 the final. They advance to the knockout stage for the first time ever with that win. The other game in Group C, Netherlands beat North Macedonia 3-0. Netherlands had already won the group and await the third place team in the round of 16, Austria will play Italy Saturday in the knockout stage. The Italians have looked very good, while Ukraine need a lot of help elsewhere to qualify as a third. Some third-place teams will get through. Got it good, and since you understood. By the way, Denmark will face Wales in the round of 16 on Saturday. Finland is uh, hoofing and hoping, while Russia is out. That was what I missed at the end of that. Got it, couldn't since you understood. My next guest has been going hard on the NHL playoffs almost every night and almost every night beside Elliot Friedman, which makes it even harder. Ladies and gentlemen, David Amber. What's good, David? Uh, those Euro 2020 highlights were very good. I was excited. I hadn't seen any, any of it today, so that was amazing. It was yeah. fun to watch that. I don't know if you could tell, but neither had I. <laughs> you, did, they, you fooled me. You they, fooled walked, me. they walked in the highlights just before, David. Sometimes you just got to... At, like like the game, sometimes you, you just got to hoof and hope. Yeah, you got to roll with it. You did <laughs> yeah. a good job. Uh, all right, so so earlier in the show, 
we ask people a simple question. Rate the NHL's officiating in the playoffs. Good, bad, just okay. Uh, <laughs> the last check, the numbers are, and listen, I get there's a recency bias on this, but the last check were about 76% to the bad, and the just okays are at 18.6%. Is, is this a problem for the NHL, or is just just a reaction to one game? Well, I mean, what the problem is is you're on this show with thousands of people listening and watching, and we're talking about officiating. We're not talking about Ryan Pulak diving across the crease with a second left to save the series uh, potentially and save the game for the New York Islanders. We're not talking about Robin Leonard stopping Cole Caulfield and then uh, Nicholas Waugh scoring in overtime. Like These are the storylines that the NHL wants us to embrace and talk about, not talking about you know, what Dan O'Rourke and Chris Lee are doing. Uh, on any given night so it's not it's not a positive thing and you know you're, we're kind of baiting them in with the question I mean the thing about Twitter and social media is people want to be negative that's why I call it anti-social media right people who like things don't go out there and say I really want to tell people how much I like things they want to get on <laughs> the keyboard and tell you how much they hate things unfortunately that's sort of where we're at but yeah it, it hasn't been a great few nights um, for the NHL officials and it all started of course with that missed cross check uh, you know Marcia so uh, on Corey Perry and thankfully that didn't cost the Canadians the game uh, and they ended up winning that game and then last night was a bit of a debacle too just because you know you can't have an official standing two feet as Braden McNabb punches Nick Suzuki in the face looking right at the play and say okay well that's not a problem uh, and let things go and then five minutes later I have a ticky-tack slash or a ticky-tack hold called so the, the players really just want essentially Tim consistency they want to know what the standard is okay let us know where the line is where we can't cross and once we know that we can we can fit into those confines but when it's a, a guessing game to the fans to the media to the players that's a problem I guess my question is can we find that happy medium where you're letting them play playoff mm -hmm. hockey and there's still consistency and how often does the NHL do that I think that's what yeah. we're all kind of looking for right yeah I mean listen no one wants to watch uh, a parade to the to the penalty box and 10 power plays per night no one wants to see that right we want to see these teams battle five on five four on four if need be uh, but there has to be some discipline there has to be a deterrent there has to be some rationale out there of things you can't do lines you can't cross set that standard set it high with that first penalty call Brian Burke used to always sit there and he cared more than anything else about watching hockey game that the first penalty called was a, a legit penalty not some ticky-tack thing where then you got to keep doing the makeup calls back and forth set the standard high but but establish a reasonable uh, standard and, and I think the players can deal with that fans and media can too all right so then what to you outside of the officiating has been the most surprising thing about the Habs and Golden Knights series because I was gonna say like mm. what are the keys and they, I, I just feel like the team that dominated the last two games just lost like so so what's been the yeah. most surprising thing to you in the series as a whole well if you had said 10 days ago before the series started okay after four games, the Vegas Golden Knights will have three goals total from their forwards. What would be the situation? I'd be like, okay, well, the Habs swept the series. Instead, we're looking at a best of three, and it's tied at two. I mean, the fact that the Vegas Golden Knights have barely been able to generate any scoring from their forwards in this series, yet they find themselves even, is remarkable to me. Um, you know, not that Montreal's been a juggernaut scoring goals either. I mean, as you can see, they've only scored eight goals themselves uh, so far in this series. But maybe that wasn't such a surprise. We expected Carey Price to have to be their best player, and he has been. Uh, but Vegas showcased versus Colorado. They could score. They can score in bunches. They could score different ways. And we just haven't seen that yet uh, in this series. So that's been remarkable to me. Uh, the lack of, of power play, it's funny. We talk about the officiating. 
You know, another thing for Vegas that's of concern is the, the lack of consistency scoring, but also what's going on with their power play? I mean, they're 0 for 11 in this series. Four for 39 in the postseason. I mean, it's remarkable that they're sitting a couple of games away from potentially being in the Stanley Cup final with a power play that's running at just 10%. It, it, it is kind of mind-boggling in many respects. Um, but when you take a step back and you say, look, it was Marc-Andre Fleury and now Robin Leonard and, and Carey Price, you're looking at two teams that are very comfortable grinding out wins with good goaltending. Uh, both blue lines are big, heavy, tough blue lines. As Kevin BX always says, that's the key to winning this time of year. And I guess we're seeing that play out. So, uh, you know, I'm a little bit surprised with the lack of scoring up front from Vegas. I expected a lot more from the Marchessos and the Pacioretties and the Mark Stones, and we haven't seen that yet. Um, but having said that, uh, these two teams are very evenly matched. And for all those people out there who are saying, oh, that's it, the North Division was crap, and whoever came out of the North was going to get swept by Vegas or Colorado, well, we've learned, you know, there is a lot more parity in this league. and. and you know, let's give credit where credit's deserved. You know, Mark Bergevin's put together a team that really is playoff ready, as, as Kevin BX and some of our other analysts had pointed out. And, and they're showing that. They're showing that to be the case. So uh, I think it's a fun series. It's an exciting series. And, and this literally does look like we're staring down sort of a, a best of seven with, with a seventh game maybe in both series uh, as we move forward. And listen, I'm no rocket surgeon, but man, is Phil Deneau good defensively. Like, Yeah, he, he what, locks it down. It's unbelievable what, he, what that line has been able to do defensively. And with Chandler Stevenson out, they don't have that depth. Same thing happened mm -hmm. with the Leafs when John Tavares went out. They didn't have that scoring depth, and Deneau becomes even bigger when you don't have that scoring depth. It's funny. Tavares goes down, Shifley gets thrown out of the series, yeah. and now uh, Chandler Stevenson, I'm not going to put him in the same group with Shifley and Tavares, but it is important. It is that first domino. It did make Vegas have to change things up down the middle. So if Montreal does get to the final, let's say they're playing Tampa, I'm sure the centers are going to be sitting there kind of rubbing the voodoo dolls before the series begins, making sure <laughs> nothing bad's going to happen to them because it's kind of a crazy twist of fate, if nothing else, to have Montreal three straight series uh, go up against an opponent who lose a key, loses a key part up the middle. All right, so then let me ask you, is it going to be Tampa? Because we've got uh, that, that series all tied up at two, going to Tampa tonight. You can see it on Sportsnet and CBC. Uh, I'd like to think Tampa's the better team. You know, you would think that. But, you know, people who are sleeping on the Islanders, it's like sleeping on Montreal. It doesn't serve you well. I mean, they've eliminated Sid and Malkin. They've eliminated Pasta and Marchand. Uh, they've been the underdog, the road team. They've been down in all three series, and here they are now tied with the defending champs. I mean, I'm certainly not going to say they're done by any means. Uh, Tampa, what they need to get going is that secondary scoring. It sounds funny to talk about Tampa with secondary scoring when I'm going to say Steven Stamkos and Alex Kalorn and, and uh, you know, Anthony Sorelli. But those three guys have yet to score a five-on-five -five point in this series. You know, Tampa relied so heavily on their great, incredible power play the first two rounds. And against... Uh, New York, it's been fairly pedestrian, just two of nine, Tim, right? Uh, they've got to beat this team five on five. And if you look at the statistics, the scoring chances, everything else five on five, it's right down the middle. Shots are even, goals are even, and uh, scoring chances actually favor the Isles five on five. So it's been an incredibly even series. Series That play by Pulak, by the way, unbelievable. Oh. I mean, that's going to be the, the one shining moment. If the Islanders win the Cup, that's got to be sort of one of the first shots you see. It's just that that could be a series-saving play in, in the dying seconds there. I still think Tampa's the team to beat. Uh, they're on home ice. Uh, you know you know this stat. They've won their last 12 playoff games coming off a loss. So uh, until you can beat them on home ice and until they lose two in a row, you know New York's not going to win. Uh, this series so my money would still be on Tampa but man oh man you, you got to give a lot of praise to that New York team there they know how to play the style that they're comfortable with and they are they 
epitomize what a team is. You know, they roll out the four lines, they roll out their 60, uh, they have solid goaltending, they're, they're happy with their with Varlamov or, or the backup Sorokin, uh, who's a rookie in net. I mean, they really are the epitome of a team. Uh, Matt Martin game winner, by the way. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> crazy. And Clutterbuck uh, the night before, right? I mean, it's just nuts. The, the, the whole play on the Pollock save at the end you know you've done well when your teammates mob you as a <laughs> as a defender at the at the horn and the play by mcdonough too like the patience the wherewithal the spin like that would have been a highlight real goal that would have gone one shining moment the other way because it was an unbelievable play it was nuts i was sitting yeah. there i'm going shoot shoot i'm like what's he doing you know and literally had an empty net and and pulak was one better than him but uh it sets up for a fun a fun night tonight because here's the thing i know it's been sort of grinded out hockey and some two to one games and if you if you didn't watch the game and you just heard it was two to one you'd be like uh but if, if Tampa does fall behind, I mean, they're going to have to play catch-up. And we saw that in the third period when they were down 3 nothing. I mean, this is a team that can score in bunches. This is a team when they kind of open things up. Uh, they're very comfortable doing that. And it, it could make for a very exciting game if New York does score first. Tampa doesn't want that because uh, Tampa 0-4 when the opponent scores first this postseason, yeah. which is something that caught my eye. They're 10-1 when they score first. So uh, first goal potentially wins this game tonight. But at the same time, uh, when Tampa starts to feel the mojo going, it really is pretty cool to watch. And it's impressive. That's that mm. you mentioned earlier, 12 straight off a loss in the postseason. That's what yeah. good teams do. Uh, always appreciate when you drop by. Thanks for doing this, Amber. Anytime, Tim. Enjoy the show. All right, there is uh, David Amber. 7.30 is Hockey Central tonight, 7.30 Eastern time. Both David and I uh, wearing the, uh, the orange ribbons today because it is National Indigenous Peoples Day. After the break, Donovan Bennett talks to Canadian Sports Hall of Famer Becky Scott, founder and CEO of Spirit North, about the work, the work they're doing in Indigenous communities. An important conversation next right here on Tim and Friends, as always. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Today, June 21st, marks National Indigenous Peoples Day in Canada. In fact, it is the 25th anniversary of the day. Recently, our country was rocked when the remains of 215 children were found in Kamloops at the former residential school, at a former residential school. It has reignited a conversation that is desperately needed again. Former Canadian Olympian Becky Scott is the founder of Spirit North, a national charitable organization that uses land-based activities to improve the health and well-being of Indigenous youth. Donovan Bennett had a chance to catch up with Becky today to discuss the challenges and triumph on this National Indigenous Peoples Day. Well, Becky, thank you for doing this and happy National Indigenous Peoples Day. And why don't we start right there with the day and acknowledging it. Why are days like this really, really important? Well, days like this are really important, I think, for all of us to, to take a moment to stop and to learn, to celebrate, acknowledge, and, and honor the many Indigenous peoples across this country, their, their contributions, their successes, the culture, the language, their traditions, and the importance uh, of the role they play in society. So it's a hugely important day, and we are particularly, you know, at Spirit North, uh, happy to celebrate it and, and join hands across the organization organization in terms of, of honoring um, Indigenous communities across and peoples across the country. You are one of the most decorated Olympic athletes we have in our country, and you've used that platform to really be an ally to the Indigenous community. Why? How did you get to that point? 
When I finished my sport career, you know, in cross-country skiing, I was invited to visit a number of Indigenous communities in Northern Alberta as an ambassador for another program that was running. And it was there that I saw for the first time and firsthand, really, the realities of life for Indigenous communities, you know, the the poverty, the housing, this, the inequalities across the board. Um, and in particular, the lack of opportunity for Indigenous children and youth to access sport because of all the barriers that existed. And as someone who had lived out my own you know, goals and dreams and life in life and had so many doors and opportunities open to me because of sport, it just seemed so unfair and so um, unjust that this particular population of children and youth didn't have the same opportunity. So um, knowing, you know, coming from such a, a strong background in sport and knowing the positive power that it has to be a platform, not just for, you know, Olympiasm and, and excellence and high performance, but also for life skills, for health, for mental health. Uh, I thought this is something that we should try to change. Okay, so we understand uh, the why. Now educate us on the how. What exactly is Spirit North doing and hoping to continue to do moving forward? Yeah, so Spirit North really uses sport as a platform uh, for, for education, for health, for wellness, for community engagement, for leadership skills, uh, and all you know the myriad of benefits that, that are experienced by participating in sport. We work directly with com communities, so we work in collaboration and partnership with communities. The programs are actually co-created and co-delivered uh, in collaboration with communities so that tradition, traditional knowledge and values and beliefs are integrated. We hire locally if we can. If not, we bring someone in. Uh, we offer knowledge and skill building to, to mentor um, you know, potential coaches to lead the programs. And then finally, we, we run year-round uh, sport and play programs that are largely take place on the land. So, so that's cross-country skiing or cross-country running, mountain biking, canoeing, archery, like we have a whole menu of sports and activities to, to inspire kids to get involved, get active, get outside, enjoy it, and have a lot of fun with sport. We're obviously having a more broad conversation about our Indigenous communities and the crimes that have been committed against them historically. But a lot of times we talk about it in the past tense, but there still are struggles. What are some of the real barriers of entry uh, for Indigenous communities that are ongoing that maybe we could help solve? For us, you know, some of the barriers that we see Indigenous communities facing are related to socioeconomic limitations. Uh, they're related to access to, to basic services, uh, to, to education, you know, to, to healthcare, to, to some of the, some of the most basic, um, services that we take for granted, uh, in the non-Indigenous communities and, and particularly for children and youth. Again, when, when we relate it back to Spirit North, it's about, it's about accessing sport and activity and, and all the barriers that are there. What we do and where we work from is, is in terms of reducing those barriers, breaking them down entirely if we can, and making sure the Indigenous children and youth in the communities we work in have those same opportunities to participate that the children in non-Indigenous communities do. One of the things we love about sport is it is a meritocracy, that it can level the playing field, but sadly, we know that it's not always inclusive. We've seen recently the sad treatment of someone like Ethan Bear 
you have reached out to him in the wake of that incident. What are the nature of those conversations in that relationship? He received a, a tremendous outpouring of support, you know, which was really heartening and really encouraging to see. And then privately, Spirit North was actually also receiving donations at the same time. And people were commenting and mess, put, sending us messages together with those donations, you know, that this this funds or these funds are for Ethan. These are in honor of Ethan, you know, we stand with Ethan. And so our first response was, you know, we have to find Ethan, we have to reach out to him and let him know that this support is coming in for Indigenous youth in sport. You literally were the pride of Canada. We've got another Olympics coming up and Canada Day coming up. And how do you really balance as Canadians our patriotism for our country, but also understanding that many people from Indigenous communities aren't so proud of what Canada has stood for historically? Yeah, I think it's a great question, you know, and, and as Canadians, it's it's really important that we take the time to educate ourselves uh, and become informed and, and know and acknowledge the history of this country and, and how it was formed and uh, the oppression, the systemic racism, the inequalities that, that uh, exist today as a result of the history. And going forward, you know, although we can't change the past, we can certainly make an effort in terms of reconciliation and, and really moving the needle on inequality and, and fairness and becoming a just society through action. You know, I think it's it's great that we acknowledge and educate and inform ourselves, but it is the most important thing we can do is take action. The legacy of what you're doing after being a high-level athlete might usurp your great legacy of what you did uh, as an athlete. So thank you for your continued work. Thank you, Donovan. Awesome. Donovan Bennett weighing in with Becky Scott. Too many people talking too much. Promises unkept. Absolutely amazing to see people using their power and platform to actually do something to make a difference. 2021 needs less talkers and more doers. Well done, Becky Scott, making a difference. Time for a break. It is a Final Four. Not many saw coming in the NBA. Bucks and Hawks in the East, Clippers, Suns in the West. So many questions in Philly, in Brooklyn. We'll examine it all with the legend Iron Eagle next up. Tim and Friends, Sportsnet. Man, the buffet of sports has been so good of late, and the NBA absolutely no different. Friday, the Clippers close out the Jazz behind 39 points from Terrence Mann. Saturday, Bucks and Nets went back and forth in an all-time game seven. Kevin Durant doing all he could do to carry the Nets, but Giannis and the Bucks surviving in overtime to blow up a narrative. Then Sunday, Devin Booker, first career triple-double. They're calling him Kobe now. As the Suns take game one against the Kawhi-less Clippers, then in the nightcap, Hawks stun the 76ers. In game seven, Kevin Herter, the unlikely game seven hero with 27, leaving the process with a few more questions than an answer in Philadelphia. That remains only Allen Iverson here to sort out all of this. It was one of the best play-by-play man on planet Earth. Ian Eagle joining us. Thank you very much for doing this. Appreciate you joining us here on Tim and Friends. Tim, great to be with you. It is a, a fun time in the NBA and what has been such an unusual season. At least we're getting the payoff. We're getting the drama we were hoping for. 
It, it's funny because you look at this Final Four, and obviously there's no number one seeds. It's just the second time since 72 that that's happened. Are, are you shocked that we got here, or has this season always been setting up for something a little bit different? Yeah, I think the latter. Yeah. Uh, I feel as if this was so different and so unique that we should have expected that there would be an unusual result at the end of this thing. In my mind, Milwaukee was better equipped this year than they had been in previous years, despite being the number one seed the last two years. They were better equipped to go on a longer run this year. So I'm a little surprised they got past Brooklyn, but based on the health issues that the Nets were dealing with, Tim, the Bucks really were supposed to get there. And Giannis Adetokounmpo is waiting for that breakthrough moment. You mentioned narratives. You guys are so familiar with it in Canada. Kyle Lowry for many years was thought of as a player that might not be able to get over the hump. And yet when it happens and he changes the narrative, being a clutch player, being one of the best players in Raptors history, then that becomes the new reality. And I think that is probably what Giannis is hoping that whatever happened the last couple of years will be forgotten. Same for the Clippers and Paul George. You mentioned Kevin Herter, this fresh new storyline in the NBA and the Phoenix Suns. Devin Booker, what had been the story the last couple of years? Empty stats. He can't do it when it counts. Maybe he's not a team guy. All these things that pop up and now the reality is he's just one of the most gifted players in the NBA and everybody gets a chance to see it. I, I don't know. And I, I completely hear what you're saying. I don't know if I've ever seen it like this. And I know as a play-by-play -play guy, you kind of plan for everything. You plan for yeah. every result. Um, going into a game so that you have the storylines, you have the narrative set out. And the Bucks net series was so intriguing to me because of how many times that narrative changed. It looked like the Bucks were done. It looked like the Nets were done. Then Durant puts them on his back. The Bucks are done again. Like, if Kevin Durant's toe is a little bit smaller, Mike Budenholzer's looking for a new job. Now he's the favorite to win the championship. Like, do you remember a season like this? No, and a couple of movies come to mind. Uh, Sliding Doors, Gwyneth Paltrow, if you ever saw that flick, where life changes if you go through a different door on a train. You meet your husband in one car, and if you go on a different car, your life is completely different. So that's the first movie that comes to mind, right. because everything could be different. You're right, the Bucks could be completely different right now. Mike Budenholzer probably would have been fired. They would have changed the entire supporting cast around Giannis Adenekumpo, and the Bucks would have been considered uh, another unfortunate disaster in NBA terms. And then the other film, I don't know if you're a Stripes fan, but the first thing yes. that came to mind for me, for Kevin Durant, it was Sergeant Hulka, the big toe. He's that... <laughs> that much away from bringing his team to the Eastern Conference Finals, and maybe they get a little bit healthier with James Harden and with Kyrie Irving. Although I must say I was in the building that night. Kyrie Irving did not look close to returning because of the ankle injury. Harden is a shell of himself. Jeff Green, a shell of himself. But Kevin Durant did put the team on his back, and you nailed it. If they win game three, if Bruce Brown makes a shot, if Kevin Durant makes the last shot, they're up 3-0. The Bucs are so fragile. It's over. And then when the Bucs won two in a row, they take the huge lead in game five. You assume, well, this is it. This is their time. The Nets come back. You said, oh, they have the upper hand. They're up 3-2. The Bucs are reeling again. And then everything changed 
yet again. It, it really has been incredibly intriguing. Uh, somewhere, my friend uh, Adnan Verk, host of Cinephile, is smiling after the uh, <laughs> the movie references that you just dropped. I will say Sliding Door didn't know, but Stripes, as a Canadian, we all have to know John Candy's entire database. So we're all Stripes fans. Uh, that One of my favorites, not Sliding Doors, Stripes. Yeah. Sliding yeah. Doors on the periphery, familiar with it, saw it. Stripes is an all-time classic. Uh, I'm a lean, mean fighting machine. <laughs> That's correct. You're a lean, mean fighting machine. So one of the hot take television takes today is Steve Nash was outcoached or Steve Nash didn't know how to handle this team. Uh, as Canadians, again, we look at that and we wonder how close that is to the truth. Yeah, I don't buy it. Uh, I think Steve handled himself incredibly well throughout the season. He managed personalities. He understood day-to-day -day what was required of him, not just in dealing with the media, which was completely new on a daily basis from a coaching standpoint, but how do you deal with your players? How do you process what it is they need and then day-to-day listen, accept their input, which he did. He's a terrific listener. He's one of the best communicators I've ever been around. Game seven, interesting in that the bench played no role. I don't know if we're going to see this again, Tim. The bench had zero field goal attempts. So yeah. I'm assuming that's the first time that ever happened in a game seven. It may have been the first time it's ever happened in a playoff game in modern times. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to find that in a regular season NBA game. Zero field goal attempts. You stumble into a shot as a bench player in normal NBA times. Uh, there was a trust issue, and I do think he shortened things. And ultimately, he just went with the guys that got him there. And if there is an area where there might be some criticism, that's probably where it would start. Uh, the fact that... Uh, he just, he rode them hard. Uh, I think Kevin Durant didn't want to come out. Look at the minutes per game. It was obscene throughout the series. And James Harden, who was dealing with that hamstring issue, uh, I uh, presume, Tim, that from his own personal instructions, he didn't want to go back, sit on the bench, and risk the possibility of that thing acting up on him again. Are you surprised that we heard today that Durant and Harden are going to the Olympics? A little bit, yeah. a little surprised. Uh, KD, not as surprised. Uh, I, I thought maybe Harden would say, I need to shut this down for, for two months. But uh, this means a lot to them, and, and they're going to be a part of it. Uh, let's talk about Philly for a second, because I think yeah. uh, that shocked a lot of people. And it sounds like the process may be over in Philadelphia. Like Ben Simmons, I don't know if I've seen that much ire for a guy that a lot of people had, um, you know, as, as a big-time player just a couple months ago. Tim, all of his flaws came to the forefront yeah. at the worst possible time. And it was in the fourth quarter of the most meaningful games that this organization has had in quite some time. Raptors fans will remember uh, that was a bounce away from going to overtime in a game seven. And who knows what happens in the conference semifinals at that point. Kawhi Leonard changed all that with his shot. We talk about narratives. Kawhi is now known as an all-time clutch player. And Philadelphia is known as a constant underachiever. Ben Simmons, there are definitely going to be some question marks as to whether or not he will be back with Philly right now. His value is not nearly as high as it once was, and 
he's going to have to overcome a great deal. Physically, he can get through this. He's a gifted player. The issues are going to be on the mental side. And the fact that he was a no-show in the fourth quarter in game four, five, six, seven, going back to one, two, and three, he didn't play much of a role either. There was a clear play that I'm sure you remember and your viewers and listeners remember where he had an open dunk, open dunk, and gave it up to Thibel, who got fouled on the play and hit one out of two. You just gave up a point in a huge game. And that showed you the psyche of Ben Simmons. He did not want to get fouled anywhere near the rim, away from the rim. Yeah. He was trying to avoid it. And you can't function that way in the NBA. Ian Eagle joining us here on Tim and Friends. Before I let you go, Ian, uh, one, did Noah call the Clippers and Sons? And two, <laughs> did you spend your Father's Day listening to your son's call? Tim, thank you for bringing it up. Uh, based on all of the restrictions, I had not seen my son Noah, who does the Clippers on radio for about 10 months. Oh. And I got assigned the Clippers Jazz Series just by happenstance by TNT. And it was spectacular just to hang with them, just to, just to have dinner with them three times. I paid, by the way. Let's <laughs> <laughs> get that on record. I did pay. Soon um, enough. Soon enough. I'm, yeah. I'm cool with that. <laughs> yeah. I'll pay for life. But uh, even just on the personal side, it, it was awesome. Thanks for Thanks for mentioning it, bud. Uh, hey, anytime. It is wonderful to see uh, both of you guys doing what you're doing in your careers. And the, the young right. buck's got some chops. He's got some chops. I think he might be paying for dinner uh, very soon, Ian. I think he'll be at that level very soon. I'm uh, cool with it. That video looked like Hot Tub Time Machine if we're going to go with another movie. <laughs> yes, there it you go. It was a weird little comparison. <laughs> uh, appreciate it. Be well. Thanks for doing this, as always. All the best, Tim. Continued success, man. Great to be on with you. We'll do it again. Thanks. Appreciate it. There is one of the best in the business. Ian Eagle joining us. Uh, break down his team, which he does uh, normally. The yeah, He does every team, though. When you look at his body at work, it's ridiculous. It's something I aim for. Anyways, time <laughs> for one last break. We'll do our tip of the cap. Get the last call next right here on Tim and Friends. I like to think I call a decent game, but whatever. I just keep waiting for my chance. Bosses, I don't know. That music can only mean one thing. It's time for Tim and friends to go to last call and hand it over to one Jesse Rubinoff. Take it away, buddy. Timmy, big, big news today. Las Vegas Raiders defensive end Carl Nassib. He made history becoming the first active openly gay NFL player Nassib who appeared in 14 games last season, including five as a starter, made the announcement on his Instagram account. I want to take a quick moment to say that I'm gay. I've been meaning to do this for a while now, but I finally feel comfortable enough to get it off my chest. Um, I really have the best life. I got the best family, friends, and job a guy could ask for. Um, I'm a pretty private person, so I hope you guys know that I'm really not doing this for attention. Um, I just think that representation and visibility are so important. Um, I actually hope that like one day, videos like this and the whole coming out process are just not necessary. Great stuff. Our friend and Pittsburgh Penguins president tweeted, Brian Burke tweeted, proud to support Carl and his decision to come out as the first active gay player in the NFL. I hope other sports executives will join me in publicly expressing their support as well. Timmy, will Nassib's decision to come out lead to more athletes doing the same? 
Uh, I hope so, and I think he hopes so, and I think Brent, Brian Burke hopes so, and I think there's a bunch of people that understand that if you can see it, you can be it. And I just want to uh, to tip the cap to Michael Sam, who Definitely. walked down the road and didn't play in the regular season game, but took the slings and arrows that he took to do what he did when he did it. And perhaps, who knows, everyone is different in their situation, but perhaps we don't see this without Michael Sam. Mm -hmm. And every step in this direction helps the next step. And I hope all these young men and women know that every time that they put it out there. Progress, here, here. Yeah. Uh, great stuff. Uh, to the U.S. Open, John Rahm captured his first major title yesterday at Torrey Pines, and it was a tough Sunday for Dundas, Ontario's Mackenzie Hughes. Hughes had a share of the lead heading into the final round, but he was out of contention early after bogeying three of the first six holes. What was more disappointing, Tim? Hughes being out of contention early or the performance of my pinata picks? <laughs> Let's I mean, just, I'll refresh listen. quickly. You want me to, I'll refresh. Louis Oosthuizen, Brooks Kepka, Roy McIlroy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Not that you want to jump in with all of your picks that were this close but failed miserably, but you were speaking as we saw the Think if you're Mackenzie Hughes and you bounce off the cart path into a tree and it doesn't come down and there's nothing that you can do. I have a bit I, of a hot take about that. How do you not get rattled? I've, I have a little bit of a hot take. It, it bounced off the car path and was still going left. Like that would have ended up in the parking lot and he wasn't going to play from the parking lot. So he was going to have to drop regardless. But the visual okay, of the ball being in the on. tree. Didn't John Rom go over like a black fence and they gave no, him I, free lift saying that that's unplayable? It's, what the hell's the tree? It's so funny that professionals like... But as an amateur, you can never find your ball. You can never, ever, ever find your ball. But you get on the PGA Tour, and you are finding your ball everywhere. And you get relief from this. You get relief from that. And, like, we don't get that. Me and you on Saturday and Sunday, listen, we don't get that listen, relief. You, you don't play the U.S. Open rough, okay? <laughs> so take it easy. I once played the Canadian Open course at Angus Glen yeah. just before Ooh. the tournament was there. And I dropped a ball that I had lost that scrambled off of the fairway. I'm like, I'll, I'll find that easily. I lost it. I dropped my ball, went to look at my shot, and couldn't find the ball that I dropped. Take it easy Well, you on can muscle out of that stuff. Take, oh, no, like I lost the ball. I just dropped it, and I couldn't find it in the rough. Yeah, no. I mean, they deserve Phil the Phil Mickelson breaks. probably walked by and said, who's this Slazinger? <laughs> who's playing the Slazinger? Uncle Timmy's playing. Um, did you happen to see that there was a, a streaker? Yesterday, uh, I did. It was running down the fairway. Is that cut or uncut? A streaker at, in golf. Listen, if you're gonna, I think it's ridiculous. But if you're gonna streak, it's a pretty good streak that we saw. For those who don't know, uh, dude ran out onto the fairway with a club and a pair of balls, golf balls, and hit one of them. Yeah, right. Like if you're good gonna tempo. streak, and then. As the uh, marshals came out to uh, to grab him, he made it look as though he was just going to, you know, take a knee and let himself go <laughs> quietly into the night. But he faked a jump shot and made a move. Yeah, that's... And he was gone. That's a nice a juke. Yeah. A little Heisman, maybe? But, yeah. I, I mean, this is golf. It's not a rock concert, as they said. As Shooter McGavin said at Happy Gilmore. Like, have some, have some class on the golf course. Come on. Is it... Would you... Peter Jacobson once tackled a dude. Yes. I would have been down for that. That would have been fun. Really? Just Rom, just dude. If John Rom just but leveled that guy, John Rom's a big boy. I mean, I, I listen. Jacobson tackled a naked dude. Like that's hard to do. <laughs> that's a that's good form too. Went for the legs. 
Yeah, very good form. And celebrated as if he had just sacked Joe Theismann. Like it was. <laughs> I wonder where he was. I got to look up where he was in the tournament when he ended up tackling the Yeah, guy. He, you like can't be in the hunt. Three shot lead. You, no, you can't be in the hunt if you're tackling I'll have naked to get dude. to the bottom of that. There's nothing to grab a hold of. No. Like it's tough. Yeah, that was very impressive for him, given yeah. the circumstances. Joey <laughs> uh, Otani was what? named. Oh, there's one thing to grab a hold of. My bad. Yeah, I get oh, it. Oh, no. Sebi. Uh, Shohei Otani was named Could American League too. Player of the Week today. Yeah. Uh, home runs at five of the Angels' last six games for Shohei. Also pitching six innings of one-run ball and picking up a win. On Friday, he announced that he would be taking part in the Home Run Derby this summer during All-Star Weekend at Coors Field. However, Hazel May reporting today that Vladimir yeah, Jr. Guerrero Jr. will not be taking part in the Derby, though he's looking forward to being in Denver for the All-Star Game. Is it the right decision that Vladdy will not be participating in the Derby? I, I wouldn't mess with the good thing. Honestly, we've seen guys ruin their swing in the home run derby. Yeah. Let Vladdy do what Vladdy's doing and walk away. It's it would like, be nice to see him yeah. just from an entertainment purpose only. I'm okay with that. Let's just replay last year. It's like, I'm good. But <laughs> but uh, for swing purposes, I think uh, there's a lot of Jays fans that are probably smiling a wee bit that Vladdy's not going totally, into that thing. Totally agree. Uh, just over a month away from the start of the Tokyo Olympics, today organizers announced that limited fans will be allowed to attend events with venues capped at 50% capacity, up to 10,000 fans. They'll be required to wear masks and not allowed to cheer. It must go straight home after. Sounds like a fun time, right? <laughs> so they're not allowed to cheer? And like, is Japan the only place you could pull that off? You're not allowed... Like, are you going to give a, people a bunch of those clapper things? You know, those annoying... Yeah, but that's like, cheering. Well, no, but I think that they're saying that they don't want people yelling With, and oh, screaming. So no noise. Except the clapper. Well, you have to give them something. That could be a weird situation. Like, a very strange situation. Will people Pe adhere to those rules? I mean... Won't they kick you out if you're making noise? I don't know that I haven't read the. It's like how they said. It's like how they said at the baseball stadiums originally. Like you got to wear a mask at all times unless you're eating, unless you're drinking, unless right. you're doing anything. Unless it's impossible for ushers to determine whether you're wearing your mask appropriately or not. I like, listen, how do you the, govern that? The the vaccination rates are a little low in Japan, so I understand why they're doing this. But to allow people into the arena and then tell them don't cheer and go home immediately, yeah. like it seems like you're trying to have your cake and eat it too, right? It's like, like a movie theater, like silence. Or you get reprimanded. But, like, why would you go if you can't <laughs> cheer and you got to go home right after? I mean, I guess to get out of the house or something. You want to see Penny Alexia go win a gold medal right in person? I say that they, I mean, it might turn into a Vuvuzela thing, but I think they need to give them something. Okay. But maybe start like, a petition. Can you clap? Start a petition because that's the be thing. Able to, you have to be able to clap. I don't think we so. We make it clap. I don't think, I don't think clapping is going to be a thing. We'll have to dig deeper. That's ridiculous. You're wrong on that, I think. <laughs> That's it for us. Hockey Central, 730 Eastern. Follow Game 5, Isles Lightning. We'll talk to you tomorrow.